I'm glad you've joined us today here on The Wisdom Journey. Stephen Davey, your Bible teacher, is the president of Wisdom International. I'll be back at the end of this lesson because we have a free gift for you. But first, Stephen has a lesson for you called A Glimpse of Kingdom Glory. God's Word assures us that Christ's kingdom will be established on earth. The transfiguration is a preview of that kingdom. Here's Stephen to teach you more. No matter how far back you study world history, no matter where you travel today, this concept of eternity has been, and it still is, a part of every culture in every generation around the world. Solomon writes in Ecclesiastes 3.11 that God has placed eternity. He's put eternity into our hearts. And let me tell you, everybody out there knows there's something more beyond this life. Now, if I were to ask you to take me to a passage in the Bible to give me a glimpse of what life is like out there in eternity, where would you turn? Well, you could turn to Matthew, Mark, or Luke, because these three gospel accounts record this stunning event we refer to as the Mount of Transfiguration. This this takes place about a week after Peter's bedrock confession of Jesus being the Son of God. And here's what happens next in Luke chapter 9 and verse 28. He, Jesus, took with him Peter and John and James and went up on the mountain to pray. And as he was praying, the appearance of his face was altered and his clothing became dazzling white. It's like a a curtain was pulled back for a moment, and we see the Lord's glory as the King of Heaven. In fact, verse 32 indicates that the disciples had fallen asleep and are just, you know, waking up as all of this starts to happen. And I can kind of see them rubbing their, their eyes, rubbing the sleep out of their eyes as this mountaintop literally lights up. Now, back in Matthew's account in chapter 17 and verse 2, we read, And he was transfigured before them, and his face shone like the sun, and his clothes became white as light. The word Matthew uses for transfigured here is metamorpho, that gives us our word metamorphosis. So you can kind of think of it this way. The glory that was always in Jesus as fully God, though robed in flesh and blood as fully man, well, that that glory Divine glory rose to the surface, so to speak, for this this incredible display. In fact, back in Mark chapter 9, we read here in verse uh, 3, And his clothes became radiant, intensely white, as no one on earth could bleach them. Evidently, Mark's done some laundries, had some trouble getting his T-shirts white, and bleach just wouldn't do the job. Well, he, he says here that the robe of Jesus was whiter than any bleach could whiten them. But let me tell you, there, there is a, a brilliant light that's actually emitting from the Lord's body, and, and it's turning everything, including his clothing, into this blazing, dazzling light. 
See, the miracles of Jesus have shown us what he can do. This mountaintop moment shows us who he is. He just lets a little light peek out from behind the curtain, and it is nothing less than staggering, brilliant glory. Now, let me add here that that this happens to be a glimpse into your eternal glory as a child of God. The Apostle John is one of the three men here on this mountaintop, and he writes in his little letter called 1 John, chapter 3 and verse 2, that one day when Jesus appears, we shall be like him. In fact, your future, beloved, is, is previewed here in two men who show up on this mountaintop. Luke writes here in verse 30 and, and verse 9, And behold, two men were talking with Jesus, Moses and Elijah, who appeared in glory and spoke of his departure, that is, his exodus. Just as the book of Exodus gives us the the account of Israel's exit from Egypt, Exodus means exit, so Jesus is talking with Moses and Elijah about his exit from this earth and and back to glory. The conversation uh, certainly included then everything from his crucifixion to his resurrection to his ascension back into glory. And don't miss this. These events that take place in Jerusalem are not accidents. Beloved, Jesus is not a victim. He is a willing sacrifice. Now, you might wonder, why are Moses and Elijah the ones who are here talking uh, with Jesus? Well, Jesus had preached to the people, do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I've not come to abolish them but to fulfill them. That's Matthew chapter 5 and verse 17. Well, guess what? Here on this mountaintop, he's talking to Moses, who represents the law, and Elijah, who represents the prophets. So just think about the fact that that Moses has been dead for 1,500 years. Elijah was taken to heaven in a fiery chariot uh, 900 years earlier. But here they are, all these centuries later, alive and well. You see, this is clear evidence that there is more than just life beyond the grave. There's actually intelligent life beyond the grave. There is a glorious life, a useful life beyond the grave. I mean, think about the staggering implications of life in eternity. Moses and Elijah are still Moses and Elijah. They didn't lose their identity as Moses and Elijah. Uh, They even have their same names. And they're still talking and thinking about events in the future, the exit of Jesus. But now in perfection, they are shown here shining in glorious splendor. Wow. They have bodies, by the way. They're not in some kind of soul sleep limbo awaiting for the resurrection. They're actually talking. They're communicating using language with each other. In fact, Moses and Elijah are are talking with Jesus about real events, events that will take place on earth. Well, what does that mean? That means they evidently know something is going to happen on earth. Like I said, these are there are staggering, frankly to me, exciting implications of eternity in this little this little brief glimpse into glory. Luke tells us now here in verse thirty two 
When they became fully awake, that is, these three disciples, they saw his glory and the two men who stood with him. And as the men were parting from him, Peter said to Jesus, Master, it is, it's good that we are here. Let us make three tents or tabernacles, one for you and one for Moses and, and one for Elijah, not knowing what he said. Well, these three tents that Peter suggests are little booths like the Jewish people built during their Feast of Tabernacles. That's that annual feast remembering their wilderness wandering as well as uh, a festival anticipating the coming kingdom. Well, as far as Peter's concerned, uh, the kingdom's about to begin. I mean, here it is. But suddenly, verse 34 says, as Peter was saying these things, a cloud came and overshadowed them, and they were afraid as they entered the cloud. Well, I'll, I'll bet they were. This isn't some low-hanging cloud, by the way. This is the cloud of God's presence that filled the temple centuries earlier, back in 1 Kings chapter 8. In fact, Luke adds here in verse 35, And a voice came out of the cloud, saying, This is my Son, my Chosen One. Listen to Him. Now, the wording used here by the Father makes it clear in the Greek language that His command is directed to the disciples. It's as if He's saying, you disciples, now, now you need to listen to my son. Listen to Jesus. Beloved, you're going to hear a lot of voices out there in the world. Test everything you hear against the word of God. His word is the final authority. Don't be led astray. Listen to Jesus. Well, the disciples are evidently ready to listen and not talk because we're told here at the end of verse 36, and they kept silent and told no one in those days anything of what they had seen. Matthew's gospel, in fact, tells us that as they came down the mountain, Jesus told them not to say anything about what they'd seen until after his resurrection. Why not? Well, because as amazing as this experience was, this experience was not the foundation for their Christian faith or lives And even today, we don't rely on experiences that come and go, no matter how stunning, no matter how sensational or unusual they might be. The Word of God is the basis for our daily Christian lives, and the Word of God never changes. It occurs to me that Peter, James, and John didn't spend the rest of their lives running around telling everybody, in fact, outside of one very brief mention of it in Second Peter chapter 1, none of them wrote anything about it. You see, you don't build your life on what you've seen or what you've experienced. You build your life on who Christ is and the word that God has given to you. Just don't forget, one day you will see him. And just like Moses and Elijah, we're going to live with him in eternity. We're going to be surrounded by the glory of God. We're going to be bearing in our own future immortal bodies that dazzling, brilliant light, the light of our King. And as you await that day, beloved, may the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Amen. That was Stephen Davey, and he called this lesson a glimpse of kingdom glory. 
we have a gift for you. Stephen wants to equip you to think biblically about politics. So we're going to send an excerpt from Stephen's book, I Pledge Allegiance. Every person is born as a citizen of their home country. But the Bible says that when we become a Christian, we become citizens of heaven. So Christians face a unique challenge. We are quite literally dual citizens, and sometimes the kingdom of heaven and the government of men are in conflict. How are Christians supposed to navigate that? This resource will help you. To get your free copy of this resource, visit wisdomonline.org forward slash allegiance. As soon as you complete the form, we'll email it to you right away. That's wisdomonline.org forward slash allegiance. Join us next time on The Wisdom Journey 